0: I'd love to sugarcoat what James says. It's not possible. Here's what James tells us in these verses. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you And will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, (coughs) cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that You would help me speak this one because I don't have any any courage with it. But Your courage, Heavenly Father, Your truth, Your Word... We need to hear this. We need to hear it the right way. So speak to us. And I pray this, that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts, and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in Your sight, Lord God. You are our strength. You are our rock. And You are our Redeemer. The only One who can save. Lord Jesus, be glorified now. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> I've got a question that's been on my mind for a while. And this question has pretty much devastated me. And it's a question because I don't have the answer to it. And I don't know how to make any resolution with it. And so I'm going to give you this question let you wrestle with it. And I pray you wrestle with it until you come up with an answer that's pleasing to God. And this is the question. What is enough in service and devotion for God? On the flip side of that, what's too little? But what's enough? Where is that line where you've done enough in thankfulness and where you've done too little? I am making some changes in my life because of these passages and what God has been dealing with through the book of James in our church. I call this message devastated because it is truly a devastating message if you understand the scope and the brunt of it. It's one I don't want to speak, but one I need to hear. It's one I can't even say correctly, but I can't say it incorrectly either. Because this message is Scripture. And when we hear these passages... We cannot say, oh, that's not talking about me. And I'll tell you why. It's because we may think in this room that we're not the wealthy of the world, but if you make more than $1,200 a year income, you are. That's pretty simple math, isn't it? You are in the wealthy now. So this is talking to you. And I'm going to tell you that this message strikes at the core of what Hebrews 4 says is the Holy Spirit trying to divide between spirit and soul, joint and marrow, to weed out and discern in us what God is trying to show us is His truth for us. And sometimes it's a very painful, uncomfortable look. And this journey this morning is just that. I've had to rewrite this thing several times trying to get it right, and I still don't have it right because it just doesn't carry the brunt of what is the truth. But I want to share with you that John MacArthur has a great quote for you, and that is this. Where there is no lament of repentance, there is no grace of forgiveness. I'm going to repeat that because you probably didn't want to remember it. Where there is no lament of repentance, there is no grace of forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about the repentance when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about something much bigger than that, much deeper, much further. Because once we get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we see how we've been polluted and contaminated by our society. This world has duped us into believing we're okay. When we read these verses in James and think they apply to us, we better think different. I do. James talks about the wealth and he says a couple of things, actually four things, about how this wealth was ill gotten and one of the things that, and how it's handled Ill, in inappropriate ways, if you will. And the first one is that the wealth has been hoarded. Now, I don't mean you stack up 15 boxes deep throughout your house so you can't get through, although that does happen, or without the boxes, but deep in hoarding. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we have more stuff than we'll use in the rest of our life stored up because we might need it someday. I have so many books on the shelves in my library, I'll never read them all. So I decided to start reading some. Rather than being overwhelmed at how many there are, I'll just start with one, because that's all I can read at a time anyway, right? Not true. One page at a time. And so, what I would share with you is, we have begun to be hoarders. Jesus even talks about this. He says that there was a man who had this great harvest, and he said, I know what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to tear down my old barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And Jesus said, Oh man, do you not know that the Lord is coming for your soul tonight? So, what's going to become of your wealth? Because you will not get to see it. So, we hoard. And I've known people who had to buy an outbuilding to put the stuff in that didn't fit in their house, that also didn't fit in their garage, and then they had to build another one because that didn't hold it all. We just keep accumulating stuff. That's the flesh saying, I don't have enough, or I need this, and I need that. And we end up with things that we don't really need, but that we want and justify as a need. And here's the sad thing about that, is that's, that's considered hoarding, and we, we're okay with that. Now, I'm not saying you don't need stuff for your business that you have to have. What I'm talking about is you got stuff you may never use, but you might. The other kind of wealth, there's four. The second one is the wealth that's unjustly gained. James talks about that when he says that he was gaining wealth by extorting the workers. Not paying them their full wages that were due. Even the Old Testament says this is a, uh, a sin. Truly justifying it. Not only that, but it says in, in the... Uh, James' understanding of wealth that the third thing that is unadvisable for someone who has wealth is to indulge in it selfishly. Yet we spend it self indulgently. Buying so much food that it rots, so many clothes that they are moth eaten, have so much wealth stored up that even the gold and silver is corroded. And then he said it's ruthlessly acquired. We've gotten it by fraud. and extorted the lesser thans that we consider lesser than. Those four things James says. But but he just doesn't leave it there. He says this is because we think we deserve it. That we deserve this luxury, this comfort. But his imagery in... Verse 5 is, you fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Now, I don't really like that imagery because it doesn't tell you the scope of it. But what he's saying is, if you've ever seen something getting ready for hibernation and, and they get eat, eat, eat all day long just to go to sleep. Well, I was one time in Wisconsin during the winter and I saw some squirrels getting ready for hibernation. And a normal little squirrel, cute and fuzzy, right? This thing was almost big as a hedgehog. I mean, it was was big. Its stomach was like the size of a softball. And I went, what is that? And they said, that's a fattened squirrel. And I said, boy, wouldn't a hunter like to get a hold of that one? (laughs) And then that imagery came back to me as I was getting ready for this message. But it also is our... Folks who raise livestock, chickens, etc. We fatten them up so that they can be bigger to provide more food. And James is saying that we who indulge selfishly are fattening ourselves up for slaughter. And the slaughter is what happens at the end of our life. Because we end up not being useful for the kingdom but only useful to be destroyed. It doesn't say that we're slaughtered for food, that we're just slaughtered. We're wiped out from eternity. And when I heard that, I said, I I don't like that. But the message says it like this, that the only thing we're doing is making fatter than usual corpses of ourselves. And I I I wanted to argue with the Scripture and say, no, we don't do that. But then God gave me some statistics. where flesh really is taking over. In our world, there are 1.7 billion people out of the 7.7 billion who are overweight. 750 million more obese. And yet 840 million undernourished. You would think that of those who are obese or overweight would just give to those who are undernourished, there wouldn't be any hunger. And it's true. But it's not happening. We don't look at it this way. We don't think about it. But there's 43 years at this current rate that oil will run out. Some of us go, it's not my lifetime. And some of us are going, yes, it is. It is in my lifetime. Because some of us are going to be young enough to see that. And we don't think about that because gas prices are cheap enough right now. And we're comfortable as long as they're low enough we don't complain too much. But you think that's bad? Every year, this year so far that is, 136,000 people have taken their own life. 136,000 this year so far. And we as a church, as a church at large, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about those undernourished? What are we doing about our dependence on foreign oil, our own? What are we doing that if it ever dried up, we would still be able to survive? What are we doing about the 5.4 million abortions this year so far? Do we ignore those statistics and go, I don't have anything to do with it. It doesn't bother me. It's okay. Or do we go, I'm okay, so they're okay. $50.8 billion this year have been spent on illegal drugs. In a Month and a half, $50.8 billion. What's the church doing? Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you're bad people. You're doing that. You should. We just shame them. Why? Because we don't know how to love them properly. We don't know how to reach out and help and guide and make something new. We're worried more about whether or not we're comfortable. Whether we got our stuff stored and it's safe and our properties are safe and our finances are safe our retirements are safe and people are dying around us. And we don't think about that. It devastates me. It hurts me to think that I'm a part of the problem. But I am. Slaughter. You think about it. This is what we're doing in ourselves in this country. We legalize abortion. Sex trafficking run rampant. I don't have those statistics, but they would break your heart. Pornography running rampant. Last I read, there was like 20,000 new pornography sites a day built on the web to cover the demand. A day. Not a year, not a month, a day. The pharmaceutical companies have got people so drugged out, they can't even think anymore. Just to treat symptoms rather than problems. And we bought into it. We have been dumbed down as a country. The news becomes biased and has removed Jesus and hope out of the news and not really done anything to promote God because God is not newsworthy or safe topics. It would offend people. Sure it would, but it offends me that they don't do it. They sell food with advertisements calling food fun, calling it comfort food. Happy times around food and alcohol, and they say this is normal. That's the flesh, it's all calling to the flesh, and that's why there's so many overweight and obese people, because food is advertised as something you do to enjoy your life. The only difference between rich and poor is the rich eat better. But they still eat a lot. There is nobody in any age range that is not affected by this. And society is fattening us and making us comfortable so we don't perceive there's a real need or a threat around us because we're comfortable. We don't look around our immediate circumstances and see the world around us and say, there's a problem. We've talked about 400, now three, I think it's 87 around us that are unchurched and don't know Jesus. And we're not making fast progress there because, well, you know, we don't know what to do. We don't have any idea. We're we're struggling and we're not praying about it. We're not getting together and crying before God saying, God, not let one of them die before we get to him. Before you get to him. We're not weeping over this. And James says, rich now, weep and howl because the miseries that are on them are going to come on you because you didn't do anything about it. You're going to carry their guilt on you and your responsibility on you for what has happened. We have so much waste. I made a list of some of the stuff. We waste so much food. Thank God we feed the people here out of a program that takes the food from stores that can't sell enough and we get to purchase it for a decent price and feed people so that doesn't go to waste. I used to clean my plate so, because kids in China and India were starving or Africa. And I didn't realize that my parents were just manipulating me and saying, instead of saying, hey, you know, I'm going to give you less food and the extra that would have cost we're going to send to them. I didn't learn that. I didn't learn how to reach outside myself to the world around me, to people I may never know, because I wasn't convicted or compassionate or raised that way. And I assume most of us are going, me either. Because we're focused on us. And that's what the flesh does. But we litter. We think it's okay. Now, I'm not getting on a pet peeve. I'm just saying this is God's beautiful world and that can destroy an environment. Pollution. If you've ever, and I don't recommend this, it's kind of disgusting to me, don't ever kayak the Ohio River near where the Duke of Water throws her water into the Ohio River. It isn't just water going there, folks. That's all I'm going to say. It's the most unsanitary place I've ever been and I turned around as quick as I could it was not pretty it's so bad of a mess if you do Google Earth or Apple Maps and you zoom in where that spills into the Ohio River you can see it that's how bad it is and we're is we're, not the only place doing that I promise you there are many many places destroying our water supplies and our drinking water is getting worse and worse quality as a matter of fact, they say pharmaceuticals that are flushed or out of people's bodies that don't get all digested go into the drinking water supply. and Now we get it in our drinking water. And we don't even know it. No wonder we're a culture so easily addicted. But that isn't the only thing we waste. We waste words. We say things we don't mean. We have to take them back and we can't because we've already said them. We waste garbage, so much of it. I can't imagine where it all goes and where it'll all go when we, there's no more room. They used to float in the ocean. They said the ocean may not sustain. We waste hate. There's so much hate in our society. We're prescribed to death. So much waste there. We waste money. We waste our energy with lies. We use power plays to try to get over on people. We defraud biochemicals and pharmaceuticals are selling us solutions to symptoms rather than problems and root causes. Because it's easier to numb the pain than deal with it. It's true. It's what's happening. And yet we we know this, but we don't do anything about it because we're okay right now. Today's okay, so tomorrow we'll worry about that. Well, that's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. If I'm okay today, let's eat, drink it today and be merry because tomorrow I'm going to die. But let me share something with you. We were singing, He touched me. And in the chorus it says, Oh, the joy that floods my soul. Were you experiencing tremendous joy because of Jesus Christ as we sang that? Or were you going... I wish I had that joy. I wish I knew joy. What is joy? I don't even know how to express that. What were you thinking as you heard and sung those words? Or in just a closer walk with thee, we said, just a daily walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. The word plea is beg. Are you begging daily for a closer walk with Jesus? Are you desiring that more than your next breath? If not, you're self-focused. Inward. Just like me. And I don't like it. It devastates me. And James says to ignore these truths is at our own peril. Because in verse number 4, and I've got it for you in the Living Translation as well. I think it's up there on the screen in just a sec. It's... um, where it says in the New King James that the cries of those who have been defrauded have reached the of the Lord of Sabbath, That is the King James. In the New Living, it tells us what that phrase, Lord of Sabbath, really means. Sabaoth doesn't mean Sabbath, like Sunday or Saturday. It means the Lord of hosts. But let's go a little closer to what that means. It's God as the commander of the armies of heaven. God is a commander of the armies of heaven. And that's verse 4. Now, don't miss this. It's the ones we've defrauded their wages. And you say, well, I, I don't, I have to, I paid people. I've done what I'm supposed to do. You're missing what James is saying if that's all you can see here. What he's saying is there are people around us. That we could be blessing. And they need daily encouragement and help and support. And people around the world we could bless if we would just do it. And he's saying we've defrauded by not doing our part, but hoarding for ourselves. Lent's coming. And in Lent, we're supposed to give up something. Most folks give up something they are already not doing. I'm going to give up uh, going to China. No. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, So you're not going to do that and, and think that you're doing something. Lent is specifically to deny yourself something that matters to you, that is an indulgence, that you don't have to have, but you think you do. And what you do with that is either spend the time taken or the money that it costs and give it to something different. Or, if you can't think of anything like that, then you start something where you make a difference in your life or the world around you. And you take on something and you use your time. And some people go, well, I'm, I'm going to pray during Lent and do the devotion and that's going to be the thing I take on. Well, you should be praying and doing your devotionals already. That's not something to take on. That should be something in addition. But that doesn't change people. It's still about you. Not about others. We're still fleshly based. Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna lose weight too. And hopefully I can lose a lot of the weight I've been carrying around from this message. Being heavy on my heart. By actually doing things God's put on our heart to do. But here's what he says in that fourth verse on the screen now. It says, The cries of those workers, the people we have not helped, have reached the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, James is real clear on this passage, and if you miss this, you miss this whole thing. Don't miss this. That's what I'm trying to say. That phrase is a very popular phrase in the Old Testament. Some translations use God of angel armies, Lord of hosts, Lord of the heavens armies, uh, Lord of all creation. What this is saying is God as military on the offense. In other words, the prayers and the cries have reached the one who's ready to move against those who are offending them. That the commander's ready to send out the force and say, gather up those who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. He's going to show you sooner or later, if you're not walking with Jesus Christ, that the end result is slaughter. And the Lord of hosts is His name that has a winnowing sword in His hand that's going to weed out the good from the bad. Those who have followed and been faithful and those who have not. And He knows. And if you think about this, it's really hard in verse 3 to see your gold and silver corroded because that stuff doesn't corrode real easy. But listen to what he's saying. And, and I hope you hear this in that verse. He says, you've heaped up treasure in the last days. Now, he doesn't mean you've got all these things built up for the kingdom of God. He, he, he's saying that you've got all this stuff stored up and it's going to come as a judgment against you because you didn't never eat it. You never needed it. And it's going to stand and cry out to you on the last day when you stand before Jesus Christ and say, all that stuff, all that stuff you wasted, all that time you spent doing other things and searching my heart and looking for me, it's coming as a judgment against you today. We've stored up the treasure, it says. I don't know if you understand what treasure is. It's our treasure, it's not God's. We value it, God does not. And here's what he says, where your treasure is, your heart's going to be. And if these things are your treasure here on earth, you're not going to have treasure in heaven. Ever since I've read this passage, I've been trying to understand how to say what I believe about Jesus. Because I've always said I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ... But the fact of the matter is I haven't done a whole lot of stuff about the crises in the world or the people around me except in some circles. And I've shut my ears and eyes to the rest and been self-indulgent. If you want to know what you believe about Jesus, look how you spend your time. Look how you spend your finances. Look how you spend it toward others and blessing and healing and restoring lives around you. Look at that. Would you say that more than half of what you have available to you in time and finances goes to help the world? I'm I'm putting it at half because it all belongs to God. And we say, Well, we gotta live got to pay the bills, got to eat, and those things are true. But what we've done is we put those ahead of the kingdom of God. And that's what James is talking about. When you put other things ahead of the kingdom of God, all the things that are valuable to you are going to come as a witness against you that you choose the wrong things. Do you understand why I don't want to preach this? Why I don't want to hear this? Because if I say this and don't do it, what's it tell you about me? And if I say this and you don't do this and follow up on this and do what I think God's asking us to do, what's it say about you? And if we don't do anything about this and we sit idly by and say, well, so what? What's it say about us as a church? What's it say about us when we say we're a church for those who gave up on church if we've actually given up being the church? So I'm devastated. The truth is we either act On the convictions that God has put in our hearts about the world around us, and listen to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit while we're marching to the slaughterhouse. And we're thinking it's enjoyable. And you look at those numbers billions and millions and thousands and you go, there's so many. Does that not devastate you instead of overwhelm you that you can't do anything for any because there's so many? Or does it devastate you that there's so many and nobody's doing much about it in our society, in our country? And we say there's too many to even make a difference. Well, you can make a difference for one. You can smile and reach a hand out and say, let me pray with you for another. You can tell someone about Jesus Christ, invite them again to a relationship with Him or to church to Salvation Sunday, to Teacher Appreciation Sunday, anything like that, to begin to be active for the Kingdom of God rather than for yourself. When do we start being the church? It devastates me. And I think God is bigger than our failures and frustrations and our losses. And I'm asking you to join me in the change that He's asking us to do. And it's to howl and to weep Desperately. Because we have not been his people. And to see the devastation in the world, and in our lives, and our kids' lives who are following our footsteps. You know what's funny? And I got to close with this because this is just not funny at all, but true. I was thinking about. Well, you know, if someone spent their whole life, you know, giving away all their goods to the poor and following Jesus and doing their work in the process, people are going to go, well, well, you know, you're kind of crazy. You know, you got to do more than that. You got to, you know, you got to watch out for yourself. Big number one. And those folks who do that are so few and far between that they stick out like sore thumbs in society. But what if we as a church and as individuals started being those people? Well, we're more concerned about the kingdom than the things of our own self. And we start saying, God, use me any way you can to make a change wherever you can. I don't know how to do this, God, but sign me up. God, I'm devastated because of the tragedies in our world and I've done nothing. This is what he's saying to the rich. They've done nothing to help anybody and they're okay with it. I'm no longer okay with it. I can't sit idly by while heaven is crying and the church is asleep. O sleeper, says the scripture, rise up from your rest and shine for the light of God has come upon you to proclaim release to the captives, the gospel to the poor, to break the chains off people who are locked up in themselves. As I said, I'm devastated by the lack of what I've done. But I'm willing to lead us in places where we can. Where we can do things. And God had to ask me that question what's enough? And I said, God, I don't know what enough is, but I'm willing to lead us into something. To take on something bigger than us, because God, if not, we're just taking on ourselves. And feeding the sheep that are here. All I know is it's time for us as a church to come before God and say, God, have mercy on us for not being completely surrendered. For taking our responsibility as a believer lightly. And prioritizing things that are second over the one thing that's first I don't know where you stand in all this I can't answer that for you but I'm answering for myself that James pegged me he pegged me and you know what pegged me means when you peg something you put something on there and you hold it up against the wall like holding up a poster with a, a nail or something he pegged me And I hope He doesn't let go until I am fully in with all of us. This is my prayer. I don't know where you're at, like I said, but I know that if this has hit you like it's hit me, you're going to want to say, God, forgive me and us. Help me to be the ones you need me to be for your world, to bring as many as I can because I haven't brought too many if any. What's your focus? What matters? What's enough for the kingdom? And what's too little? Would you pray with me? God, I hear you weeping over the broken, the ones that you've called your church to go to and we make excuses we say reasons, or we say later. But there is no justification or reason that has ever stood up to responding to your will with a simple yes. And so, Heavenly Father, take away our self-deceit, what the world has taught us that isn't true, that we may have true joy, truly Begging for that closer walk with you. That the flesh would be separated out so our soul would be clearly visible and then your spirit could begin to do some work in us. Heavenly Father, I don't like the book of James. But mainly it's because there's parts of me that I don't like. But I know there's more to this walk than just praying and going to church in helping every now and then. I believe you've called us each individually, starting with me, to a deeper call and walk. And may that be so starting here and now. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.